because yeah. this is the third time we've ever all been in a room together to record in the same this room is, feels really good did you guys ever record an episode together just the two of you no no no, no. the two of you did though yeah we yeah. did right at yeah. the beginning yeah. of the pandemic so good i have a quota to hit here it yeah. sounds like yeah yeah, yeah. you got I, I guess i'm gonna have to show up to your house well we got some good news because ethan's moving to fucking des moines so. <laughs> sorry tony <laughs> it's gonna hey, be buddy. prime time <laughs> You guys will realize Cedar Falls is the place to be at some point. I, I will if if they can give me a job, I'll show up. I don't think they can, and I don't think I don't think uh, <laughs> you're just hoping. I, I'll stop. I'm not going to offend Tony. We are going to be covering a new. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about <laughs> a new uh, character Beautiful. on the show tonight. Beautiful, and city. I do specify character. Uh, this is one of the oh yeah the most unique people we've covered so far. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's interesting. It, it might <laughs> it's gonna get weird it could all yeah be and, uh, yeah it could, it could all, all just false. be a lie yeah yeah keep that in mind up top we none of this might be true yeah <laughs> we're trying to build this out yeah i don't think we said who we're doing we are doing tom waits yes we're yep. doing tom waits yes tom waits is one of the most unique musicians we have covered to date not only in the fact that he creates some of the most unique and bizarre music of anyone we've covered meshing together jazz old country shades of rock and spoken word mm. together mm. but also because he is one of the most private artists we have covered so far yeah something we're going to get into is that tom waits the public character that everyone sees is like i like we said about Liberace and just kind of said, everyone, I've been reading from Tom Waits on Tom Waits, which is just a book of all of his public interviews. Yeah. And just seeing these on paper, they read more like a story than an interview. Like he even says in one, uh, and quote, music papers, I hate to tell you, but two days after they're printed, they're lining the trash can. They're not binding. They're not locked away in a vault. Some, and they're not tying you to your word. So like everything we know is crafted as part of this character for the public. And it, this, it's really going to be interesting here. Oh, it's sifting through a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's perfect because I didn't do any research. <laughs> All right, baby. We are. I was... I started a, a 10 minute documentary and I started listening. I was like, I can't focus on what Tony's writing and what I'm listening to. I just thought, Tony, you're my rock buddy. Oh, buddy. Well, I'm not going to be able to describe the music very well because like I said, it is it is unique and I'll do my best. But we're not actually going to talk too much about yeah. his, no. his professional career in this episode. As yep. we know, the first episode is usually their history from childhood moving up. Uh, and so we are just going to cover that for the most part this episode. We'll get into it a little bit later on. It's but background for you yeah it's uh yeah there's not a lot of like video documentary stuff on tom Waits. you can mm -hmm. find his interviews uh but like we said that they are kind of uh they're kind of far-fetched oh, and goofy and he's he taking you for a ride the whole time oh yeah so <laughs> entertainer yeah 
so yeah, he's notoriously tight-lipped about himself, his family, and his past. He likes to tell multiple stories about his past to intentionally muddy up the waters mm -hmm. on what is true and what is fiction. Uh, one thing that he really likes to say is that he was born at a very young age. Yep. Um, <laughs> he says that he was conceived in the back of a, 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 a car. It, just the wildest stories he can think of. Mm. Most likely none of it's true. Um, and so or weird. little sprinklings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, near pretty much every fact about his past has been debated. Yeah, so please don't burn us at the stakes. We're just trying here. This is literally <laughs> us just trying our best. We're sifting through it and trying to get the bare bones information that makes the most sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And so that brings us to our main source for this series. Our main source is Low Side of the Road, a Life of Tom Waits by Barney Hoskins, who is a British music critic who has written books on Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, The Eagles, Steely Dan, and many others. And he was around for a decent amount of Tom Waits' career. In theory, what he tells us should be good information. He vets most of the information he gets, and it's, it's, it's a lot like Tom Waits on Tom Waits, where it's based on interviews, but he mm -hmm. kind of looks into it as much as he can to make sure that it's fairly true yeah. and, and talking to a lot of people that were around him at the time that the events in the story happen. And so while Tom Waits is private about his life, Barney managed to still write a 500-page book about him. It is a good book, and it's very thorough, uh, looking at both his career and giving an in-depth analysis of his songs, spanning 24 of Tom Waits' 26 albums, which is great because over his time, his sound changes more than just about anyone we've covered so far, barring maybe Fleetwood Mac. He makes some very drastic changes, so I might have to give it to him. He's, his, yeah, he's his music more. at his inception is not like comparable. Like you can't tell it's the same person uh -huh. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his every we'll get into it, but everything about him changes. So, without further ado, let's get into the magical sleazy world of Tom Waits. Mm -hmm. Thomas Allen Waits was born on December seventh, nineteen forty nine, in Pomona, California, a town about thirty miles outside of Los Angeles. He says he was conceived one night in April nineteen forty nine at the Crossroads Motel in La Verne. <laughs> Amidst the broken bottle of Four Roses, wow. smoldering Lucky Strike, half a tuna salad sandwich, and the old spice across the railroad tracks. Like, like I said, everything he gives the public, it's a performance. Oh, he's all about it. Yeah, he paints the most beautiful, vivid pictures of just the weirdest shit. He's a great I... storyteller. Jesus. His parents, Frank and Alma Waits, were your average post-war family, with the exception of both Frank and Alma having a career as school teachers at the local school. At least his dad wasn't like a World War II veteran with like serious PTSD. Yeah, like That's severe good. PTSD. But he did have the drinking he problem. So <laughs> yeah, that's made up for it. <laughs> Not that PTSD is a vice. Yeah, I didn't mean that. I didn't oh, mean God, it oh, God. It just okay. came out weird. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, Austin. Just has other issues. <laughs> yeah, Alma was a soft-spoken, tidy woman who made sure to keep life in order for Tom and his two sisters. Frank, on the other hand, was much different. Yeah, in a few different interviews, he says, on my father's side, we had all the psychopaths and mm -hmm. alcoholics, oh, and on yeah. my mother's side, we had the evangelists, so they're pretty different. Oh, it's it's uh, about as literal in that, that sense as you can get, because his, yeah, his mom- Yeah, that's a stretch from what we can hear. Like, sang four-part harmonies of, like, 
like angelic music Jesus with Christ. her sisters and like then yeah there was yeah. four of them and they would all harmonize together <laughs> we, yeah we did that earlier well, so, we tried we did we did an attempt at <laughs> it i would not say the sound that came out was Sorry, angelic was friends friends yeah we're doing the friends theme gonna be this way <laughs> just a joke you broke love life's doa <laughs> wow, that is good. Wow. If we do any more, we'll get stricken with a yeah, copyright title. Well, let's uh, <laughs> smash it. We're just so happy to not have latency on <laughs> our side. <laughs> I do want to say, I, I do want to say right now before we get any further. If you hear dogs in the background, mm, that's dogs, just sorry. Ethan's got. We've said it. Ethan's got plenty of dogs. <laughs> We were gonna record in the barn, but that we, that wouldn't pigeons. work. Too many pigeons. <laughs> One goats. too many pigeons. Goats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pig. It would have been fun for the episode, but yeah, we decided to record in his house like savages. Um, and also, my voice sounds super goofy because I've just been yelling a lot this weekend. <laughs> well, we've been we've camping been out, and it's uh, yeah, we've been yelling and just having a great first time. First time we've seen each other since we recorded Nine Inch Nails Part Two. So. Yeah. Take that for what it's freaking worth. Yep. It's real good to be here. <laughs> yeah, so my voice might be gone by the end of the episode, but that oh, yeah. it seems kind of. You know smoking. what it kind of sounds like? Tom fucking waits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about you that? Get into that, gr that grit. Get in the well, grit. It's different. The well, further he goes, yeah. Yeah. it's a little grittier. All right, garlic just press. <laughs> just like the garlic press. We know that he's a man. Do it for diamonds. Tony, you're gonna need a few more cigarettes. Oh my god, don't. <laughs> Brittany, are you listening to this? No. Please don't. I don't smoke, guys. That's gross. We not. told you a pack in two hours is too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you smoke them four at a time, yeah, it's not a big deal. That's true. Ah. Uh, Anyway, okay, we'll get past that caveat. Yep, yep. So, Frank loved his family, but he spent his evenings drinking heavily and listening to old Mexican music, a genre he learned to love from his time growing up in Texas. It does seem that he loves to tango, and I kind of love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's into it. Yeah, Tom was bullied in grade school due to his size because he was small in stature, and he had what he called a trick knee, which caused him to have a bit of a funny walk as well as walking pigeon-toed. But he eventually grew out of it. I had to wear special tights until I was four because my legs were so bowed. Oh, shit. Did, yeah. That's fun. Did, did, yeah. Was that kind of intermingled with your restless leg syndrome as well? I don't know. That That's something that didn't kick in until like a few years ago. So <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no, that's, that's a probably why one of my hips is so much higher than the other one. Wow. Just got to get that wow. foot going. I thought you just had the sassy hip bump. <laughs> Rocking 24-7. I wish it was intentional. <laughs> well, you rock it, buddy. You own it. Thanks, look, man. You look good. I appreciate that. Tom was also colorblind, and for a couple months when he was young, he had an issue where any sound he heard was extremely loud, causing him issues from nearly any sound he heard, likely a disorder called hyperacusis. Yeah, he said it was intense to the point that he would be lying in bed trying to sleep and even just touching his hand on his sheets sounded like a plane going by or loud sandpaper yeah i think i've looked it up and a good uh a good d describer of this is just when you're so hung over that you can't move <laughs> When you're listening to sounds like that, and it's like, oh, what's that? I've been just, there before. Yeah. That sounds like my migraines. Yeah. 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 It's just any just, sound you hear, it's like, what is that just loud noise? It's like, oh, it's the fans. Oh, Turns out so yeah. my brain it's is nothing. just melting itself. Yeah. So he had to deal with that for a couple months, which mm. I'm sure was fun. Good. 
Mm. The bullying caused Tom to be something of an introvert, choosing to instead play by himself. He said that he liked to play with trains, horses, birds, rocks, radios, bicycles, and of course, he loved music. (laughs) He chose to play the bugle in elementary school and playing guitar on his own time and being taught the ukulele by his father, who himself was an amateur musician and dreamed of having a child in the world of performing. They both kind of did. He has a song called uh, Eyeball Kid and he sings about how all they ever wanted was to raise a showbiz child and they got their wish with him. Yeah. Yeah, they also have a one song called what the Sad Life of Frank or something like that. What? Wild Years of Frank. That's Frank's what it is. Yeah, now. yeah. Yeah, that's and that's one thing that we'll kind of see throughout the whole series is that Tom while he doesn't necessarily talk about his life in interviews, his music pulls from his personal life a bunch. He it doesn't seem like a lot of seems like yeah. not a good life as a child. I don't think it was bad. It just was rough. Yeah. Just, it just seems like he was on his own a lot. I think his life was a lot like what our life was. He's a, he's a product of divorce. <laughs> it's a it's he yep. just kind of hung out by himself a lot, just, just doing what he wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. But it's not the worst as it could be. Yeah, so, yeah. But sometimes neglect is bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't disagree with that. But he he turned it into something productive, and we just turned it into mild drinking problems. Yeah, you know, like so mild could, alcoholism. Own our yeah. energy. A yeah, it's better. a fine walk. He did too, line. though. To be fair. That's, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you according can, to half his story. Yeah, you can do both. <laughs> I, just, I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank would bring young Tom to bars with him to watch local acts and more so to have someone there as he drank to excess. Yep. I, at least he wasn't like doing it at home alone by himself. He had a crowd around him, right? I suppose, yeah. If it's social drinking, it's okay. Yeah, it's better. Than <laughs> That's how you <laughs> rationalize it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You bonding with your kid, I can, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's that's his father's son time. That's that's I awesome. I spent a lot of time in bars. I grew up in bars. I get it. I, I, yeah, my yeah. dad. I think I think, owned a bar. I, I definitely I spent a lot of time down in bars here. Too. There's gonna I, there's a bit about it. <laughs> oh Christ! Can't wait to get there. It's a different time. Ugh. But Tom had fond memories of listening to the music at the bars, as well as in the car as they drove around, listening to country, western, and Mexican music with his father, and also listening to his family's record player, where they listened to all types of music, like his father's favorites, as well as Irish music, calypso, old blues and jazz music, Mm -hmm. basically anything that they had or that they liked, they would play. But the one thing that they would not play was like pop at the time yeah. so oh, no. elvis and fats domino were very popular at the time but they were a rarity in the Waits household because so, frank didn't like it his dad was like a modern like a like a a proto hipster yeah 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 he was listening to like 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 real real eclectic stuff like he was yeah. like i guess it is probably more the critique the critic in him yeah, Probably more than anything. Which he I was get. not a fan of yeah. pop. He was not a fan of anything pop related. Well, I mean, he shares a story at one point of driving with his dad when he was eight, and a guy in a souped-up car like pulled up next to them, and he was blasting Fats Domino, and the guy had his hair combed into a ducktail, which yeah. is a style we now associate with the fifties and the greasers. Like, think of Elvis. Yeah. yeah, it's like all the hair greased and pulled back and combed to the center, so both sides like flow into it and uh his dad looked at him and told him if he ever got a duck tail he'd kill him he'd so. kill he just said i'll kill you <laughs> kill you for it i <laughs> love know? that 50s love man that is that is fatherly love if yep. you don't have a visual think uh little grease lightning yeah that's yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah the, the whole Tra- yeah john travolta yeah. you know olivia newton john wow 
Good job. You shoehorned Grease back into this Grease story. Back into <laughs> I'm into it. Three times as we can. It, I, I, I love it. It's Grease. been a couple. I think it's been two whole yeah. series since been, we brought them up. I'm so. skimping on Grease, and I'm sorry. I don't. Well, I know we all, right. all love Grease. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> it's okay. Lukewarm do it. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> ah, so Tom loved hanging out with his family, who was fairly musical all around, and gave him a lot of his inspiration for his music later on both in terms of content, but in also in terms of style. The biggest being his dad's Uncle Vernon, who was both chaotic and bizarre, and then spoke in this deep, gruffy voice, which was apparently from an operation on his throat when he was a kid. (laughs) So apparently what happened was the doctors accidentally left some medical equipment in in Vernon's larynx, and when they were, and like... The medical equipment in there screwed up his vocal cords. It was and a pair ca- of scissors, supposedly. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 scissors and gauze. and gauze. And it, it caused him to speak in this gruff, unnatural voice. I'm not like a man of law, nor do I know like law practice, but that sounds like malpractice if I've ever heard it. <laughs> it just sounds like the 50s, buddy. Yeah, I don't think they had malpractice. I think it's even, I think it's like the. Probably the 30s because it's his uncle. Yeah. It's Tom's yeah. uncle. So true, Even yeah. if it is true, it's probably before like malpractice was. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. think that was a thing. They were I just like, ah, oh, shit. People were still probably peddling snake oil. That's what yeah. we call yeah. them. That's what we call them. Mix them up, and you got to take <laughs> them as got, they come. You gotta, sometimes, you know, you just, he he uh apparently his uncle Vernon spit up the scissors and the gauze like during a dinner and I would not be surprised if the, the hospital called and asked for him back yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, if you ever get those out of there you want to it's probably a rare commodity we though. have a we actually serially serially track our scissors at the hospital and we noticed with that we, when we did yeah. your operation the the doctor that or on your surgery, noticed he's missing a tool yeah. out of his toolkit. On the bill, they put an extra like fifty dollars <laughs> for the scissors. Yeah, they're yeah, like, "Well, this is yeah, your fault. Like You're not supposed to take that with you." Fifty dollars, <laughs> and they had to file for bankruptcy for it. Back yeah, then. Uh, this this all could be a fake story. <laughs> yeah. Just so, yeah, it's at least most likely embellished because it supposedly happened like a few years after the operation. Just like randomly during a dinner, he coughed it up. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I think it's one of Tom's fun little like legends building things we'll see him do over and over yeah another thing about vernon though is he was a fantastic organ player and uh he was like one of those people that played in the church but he wasn't that religious he was just the venue he had access to (laughs) just the venue (laughs) just like get get you in front of people and uh, just need to absorb that energy and i get it well he eventually moved the organ into his house into his house and like ran the pipes through the walls and like like Tony said, chaotic is the word that yeah. they use again and again for Vernon, and uh, Tom definitely emulates him a lot. I, I don't think you're. I don't think it's Vernon that did that. I think it's Vernon's brother, Frank's brother. So all the brothers were just insane. Yeah, because well, there was two different. Way. But Runs. yeah, that's just the family Tom came Runs from. in the family. Yeah, it's absolute insanity. Yeah, you have an you have an uncle who's got scissors caught in his throat. You've got an uncle who's got a whole pipe organ in his house. In his have home. You, you guys. There's actually a real house that someone has where he's routed his a, a giant expensive organ through his entire house and like it's huge and it's like a, I think it's almost like a historical monument because of how okay. many pipes he's ran through his house to set up this giant like church organ he has. You cool. gotta just question why. Yeah, but it just, I think it's a level of insanity because yeah. no one's ever gonna fucking buy it. Yeah, they're gonna be like, oh. Th- Oh, there's a huge organ in this house. Oh, and you've he's routed a, all of this. He's cookies. You've Have routed. A good time. Uh, we, you know, we had the update, the electrical, right? Yeah. Like, and these 
pipe organs. They're made of I, copper. Uh, I really like, like the backsplash and the open concept <laughs> is nice, but there's 300 pipes running through this I, house. Anything I say in the night resonates through the whole <laughs> I, building. I, I can't sleep anymore because I hear everything in this house. It just resonates through all these organ pipes. Yeah. You know what? I'm into it. Yep, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm changing my tune. I like it. It's about like my house. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's made you, of metal. Can you hear everything? I think you, they probably can. <laughs> we're sitting we're sitting in your kitchen with just all hard wood around us. Oh, it's echoey. It's oh. echoey. Just keep your mouth close to the mic and everything will be fine. Be okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Tom hated the sound of his own voice and he loved the sound of his uncle's raspy voice and wanted to sound just like him. And so he actually worked on it over the years to imitate his voice, both in his music, but also just in his speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just. Could you imagine wanting to emulate a man that crazy? Yeah, I don't. I, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's the world you live in. It's the good, world you live in. Good acting. Yeah, I think that's why you just like gin raisins. Yeah, it's a messed up thing, but yeah. you're into it. But like, you're because like, no just because Bill it. is into it. Yeah, yeah. My dad loves it, and I feel like I should. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You always kind of good. Yeah, like a little bit. Crazy thing. A lot of sugar. <laughs> gin raisins, huh? Yeah, gin just, raisins. Not, not, not the 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 red grapes. Not the not the dark colored grapes, but the green ones. No, it just got really dry. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so God. it's more it's actually more tart than it is God. well also the gin yeah and the gin is just sucks the moisture immediately <laughs> out of your mouth anyway and then the tartness not a good comment. i don't i don't think it's good <laughs> no it's not it's just something that someone does and i suppose okay. yeah, yeah but yeah that's just the world he was in and he's like well this is my normal and so i like my that's uncle's it. gruffy voice and so i want to do that and yep. i'm thinking he smoked a lot to get there and yep, he yep. just worked on getting his voice more gra gravelly. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you listen to his later music, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, uh, go check him out because he's a super fun artist. It's one of the most distinct voices we'll probably ever cover. So yeah, yeah absolutely. You no, know, you know, and if you don't, you'll pick up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Not a yeah. voice. Listen to, listen to anything. Listen to like swordfish, trombones, uh, rain dogs, anything after that is like, that's when his voice is fully... In. Blood Money and Alice are good examples of everything on there. Like that's Yeah. If you listen to his first album, if you listen to Close in Time, it just sounds like a folk album and it's very good. Oh but yeah. I it is not folk. it is not uh Tom Waits very different. as as the world knows him. Incredibly different. <laughs> so anyway, when Tom was around the age of ten, Frank decided that he had had enough of his life in Pomona with his family, and he left Alma and the kids behind, moving to a new home in the area and leaving the family to their devices. Yeah, that's a normal thing a 10-year-old thinks about doing, right? Because like, we said, who, wait, oh, no, Frank yeah, left. No, Tom, the yeah, dad, dad left. Oh, Daddy Frank. left. It is a normal thing dads think about doing, though. Frank, I would imagine. I think the 50s, at least. Taken from this pool, also. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, one. I'll ride this yeah. divorce train <laughs> straight to the station. The dad leaving is only 33%, though, here. Yeah, that's true. So, some of them were never really there. <laughs> oh, wow. Let's take a uh, pee break. Anyway. <laughs> Let's keep going. You guys good? I'm good. Yeah, I'm actually having You're a great time. I'm having such a fun time. <laughs> I gotta find. This is how it should always be. Could you imagine? This. This. I don't know why I chose to do a podcast with two guys that lived all fucking across the state. We are fucking idiots, aren't we? <laughs> I'd rather have it no other way. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> 
This separation really messed with Tom and caused him to become even more introverted and emotionally older than he was. When he went to go see his friends, he would often hang out with their dads instead, talking about, quote, manly adult things, Mm. and even carrying around a cane he got from a thrift store, which he carved his own initials into. That's pretty badass. Like, (laughs) don't disagree. These are two big pieces, though, like of the Tom Waits puzzle that we see. Like, he was desperate to grow up fast, and he says Mm -hmm. he wanted to... He said he wanted to skip it all together and just go straight to being 40. And yeah. So you could definitely describe him as an old soul when he was a kid, but it seems to have drove his eccentricity and again, like sort of jump started the idea of just hide, like building this character to like hide set himself him. behind a lot. Like we said with Liberace. Set him apart yeah. from everyone. I think that we've ever done just because of how weird and off center he is yeah he lived a he lived a life he lived quite the life (laughs) but it's so weird like i talked about how 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 frank's brothers were like so goofy frank was a was a spanish teacher like he was just a teacher at the end of the day like both he and alma were so they were like normal in that sense like he didn't live like a normal life but it was a fairly normal life that's Mm -hmm. what's so effing goofy about and he probably held this. his job the entire time so he's not like your standard like deadbeat dad well he's st- yeah he stayed in pomona for yeah. like quite a while before eventually moving to la i think it was la but he was in there for a long time and just kept working at the school and yeah. and and paid alma alimony yeah, payments sure, and like, stuff paid, and paid child support and everything but yeah like, or yeah child support and yeah also i mean i'm sure there's a level of alimony too just because it's part of the deal but yeah. it's all freaking wrapped in there yeah so <laughs> shortly after frank left Tom's mother, Alma, decided to leave Pomona to move to Chula Vista, a suburb of San Diego. He said he felt slightly more at home there because a lot of the city's families didn't have dads because they were all out to sea in the military. So he felt less embarrassed that he also didn't have a full-time father, though Frank would still see the kids from time to time, usually when he was on his way to and leaving Tijuana, where he would go (laughs) pick up the kids to drive them down and then drop them off on the way back home. Why not? And it's it's, It's it's not like one or two times a year. Like (laughs) Chula Vista was where they moved. It was only 20 minutes away from the Mexican border. So it was pretty frequent. Yeah. 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 I think he was kind of like, do we? This is a convenience thing more than it. Like, I'll just grab the kids, go down to Tijuana, do my thing. Pop over to Chula Vista, pop to Tijuana, pop back, pop on again. Man. Uh, Why was he going to Tijuana every year? Just vacay? Just like no, just go down every there. year, just no, like every frequently. Weekend, oh, like, he was going. Yeah, Austin Tom said, said he it was not. There to get his haircut. It was not once or twice a year. He would, would go all the time. Yeah. He just went down to Tijuana. He would Why go to wouldn't you? bars down there. He'd just hang out. Okay, just Tijuana's like a. How far is it across the border? Is it that close? No, it's right on the. Is it's it? right on the Mexican yeah, side. Close as it gets, I think. Yeah, God. and Chula Vista's right on the American uh, side, so, so it's, it's just like California, Tijuana, right yeah. there. Yeah, like a half hour drive That's, away. Yeah, I see. I, my geography's all fucked up. For some well, everyone, reason. whenever you hear Tijuana, it's like, oh, so like deep Mexico. Yeah, see, but I always right there. I always think it's on the Gulf of Mexico yeah. side, down in further for some reason. Nope, it's God. I hope we're not wrong. I looked it up. We, we talked about Tijuana in another. We talked about Tijuana in, uh, I don't know, another series, and I looked it up. I'm scared. I'm Ethan's looking it up just to make sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have. You're just, I can't type. You got it, buddy. Tijuana. Tijuana. It's right there. I could have clicked on it. I, did, I had no idea. For some reason, I always assumed it was. Yeah, yeah, it is just right there, right on wow. the freaking border. God. It's it's is that Baja California? Yep, Baja California. So yeah, man, huh? Right yep. there. 
pop on over, pop on back. Oh, That's yeah. how it goes. So Tom remembers spending more time in bars and diners late at night with his dad, which which began to instill a love of the seedy underbelly of society that stuck with him his entire life. If you know his music, you know that that's like an all enveloping like theme, a huge portion of it. Yeah. Like his dad would take them to bars and he'd pay the mariachi bands to come over and play for the table. And he just kept paying them more and more and apparently would just eventually leave with them, like <laughs> with the band. Yeah. So Tom and his sisters had to find their way back to the hotel on their own, which <laughs> oh, yeah. sounds a little scary for a 10 year old. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it kind of like turned it into a fascination with everything he saw in these bars and neighborhoods instead. Yeah, I'm sure like, yeah, walking through the streets back to your hotel, you just see the weirdest stuff. Yeah. You just, think he spoke fluent Spanish? You're just alone. I don't think so. I don't think so either. He may have spoken a little bit. I'm sure down there on the border, everyone probably speaks English. Again, yeah, you have a Spanish-speaking dad, so you probably know some, but... But not when you're walking home alone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that the 10-year-old Tom just, like, kept saying, Mascarve, support favor. Just not knowing what it meant, but... My dad keeps saying Yeah, my dad says that. (laughs) Dad says it's a good phrase to know in Spanish, (laughs) and puedo ir al baño. That's all you need, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you, Miss Bus, for failing us. I I went all the way through four. What? Oh, I went all the way through four. I got coping. Good for you. Mm. I'm just dumb enough to make it. (laughs) Oh, man. She didn't do a whole lot. (laughs) So, anyway, uh, (laughs) over time, Tom found himself being more interested in music and reading. He had an old broken radio that he fixed, which picked up the area's radio stations. And that's where he heard artists like George Hamilton, Roy Orbison, Marty Robbins and Bobby Bear, who were famous country artists on the radio at the time. Roy Orbison is so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he Roy Orbison was his favorite. He liked his like really sad operatic. Yeah, yeah. he, he like hit a ton voice. of falsetto. Yeah. Like, and it was pretty. Like, men didn't really do like sad falsetto stuff at the time, and he was kind He's of the pioneer of rocking it. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that. He was Waylon Jennings covered a song by him. He, oh yeah, he did crying. Yeah. My mother told me not to get tattoo of Roy Orbison. But God. <laughs> but what mama don't know. I heard her. Is this is this walk hard? It's Waterboy, baby. Yeah. Oh God. The Roy Orbison tattoo on Henry Winkler's ass. Yeah, that's Does right. he really? Oh yeah. I don't remember Waterboy. Oh, not for, that's a good one to revisit. I love that movie and I don't oh, remember that man. at all. That one could go over your head pretty easily. God. Yeah. I'm <laughs> disappointed in myself. I'm sorry. That's all right. You know, I, you guys know I love it. Right. Let me just say this. Slap your knee again. Hit it. Just because I can. Mm. You just here in person. Thank you. Just happy just to be here. Make the circle quick. It's oh, wow. beautiful. Just a quick director's cut. All here. <laughs> Same lot. Awesome. We're going to be doing a lot of it. Uh, can't wow. wait. <laughs> uh, I don't have that fucking line it all up every time. Yeah, this will be easy. So easy for you. Like butter. Mm. He also began to fall in love with the rock music of the time, mainly Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. He had such an admiration for his early work and even went to go see him in San Diego in late 1964. Yeah. And if you watch his live performances, like older ones, you can see the impact of it a lot because he became sort of obsessed with like just the stage presence of a guy in a stool and his guitar just telling 
kind of like poetic stories. Yeah. Oh yeah. Songs. Bob Dylan's a storyteller. Oh yeah. It's I think a little he, different later on. I think he kind of had the cadence at first too. He kind of had like the the, the Bob delivery. Dylan cadence. Yeah. And, he definitely did. Yeah. His and, first album. Is, yeah. There's it's Bob a lot Dylan. Of you got to taste it. And uh, when he would play his early shows, he would wear a harmonica around his neck, even though he had no idea how to play the harmonica. Just for yeah, the aesthetic. Yeah, just for the aesthetic. <laughs> yep. Just to look like a Bob Dylan. He also loved watching television shows and movies like The Twilight Zone and The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, as well as old cult classic films. Did, my dad loved The Twilight Zone. Did you guys, did you guys watch it? I didn't watch it at all as a kid. I mean, I, I watched it here and there. Like, I've seen plenty of random episodes. Definitely. Of it, I was it a, goes into why I'm so conspiracy driven for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah i am a uh, part of my personality yeah I, I was a scared scared child <laughs> and i could I not handle that specifically remember an episode where like there's two guys and one of them's venusian and one one of them is martian and they're fighting over control of the world yeah that's awesome that's episode. pretty gnarly it's, <laughs> it's wild it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah uh yeah and I think that Tom liked the show because it had kind of that cool feeling because it was such a goofy show, but he also loved this. He loved uh, Rod Sterling, the the host of the show, and mm. he was very into his delivery and how he talked. And mm. you kind of you kind of piece together where you Tom Waits gets his influences. Yeah. yeah, where he kind of builds his personality from. So on top of all this, he began reading just about anything he could get his hands on from the library, mainly beat writers like Allen Ginsberg and his all-time hero, Jack Kerouac. And beat writers are writers who write about the rejection of materialism, uh, religion, and just about any other confines mm. humans may bind themselves <laughs> to and encourage expanding the body and mind through the use of psychedelic drugs and sexual liberation these this sounds like the cool kids in high school i think and i was not a cool person in high <laughs> yeah school. too busy watching red wall and, yeah, yeah. Dude, oh, red you watch red wow we watched red wall together right. buddy and we would talk about it julia neil park come on god, god what a show god <laughs> The show. What a Brian concept. Jocks. Did you uh, like Brian Jocks? I mean, I liked Red Wall well enough. God, I, I read <laughs> it good. Yeah, no, I'm in Europe. I just God, really I, liked Red Wall. I, I just I kept reading. I was, oh, I was all in on the show. Just God, an old weird concept. Just yeah. an old animal fantasy story. Just all played by animals. Yeah. It was great. Each other. Mice. It was awesome. Yeah, mice and badgers, badgers and, and oh, snakes and. Rabbits. I'm gonna have to find that on YouTube later. Please. That could be good. <laughs> <laughs> a couple. Could be good. Uh, yeah, it also explored the monotony of everyday life and encouraged exploring and expanding beyond it. Yeah, that is wildly enticing to a kid who is like becoming more and more desperate to escape suburban life. <laughs> suburban life, I feel like as a kid, would be a fucking nightmare. Oh, yeah. We you don't know anything about that? No, I mean, I, was, I, I got to go out of town a little bit. I think we were, I mean, we were mostly ran in. I don't think that's what suburban life means. It's just it's just monotony of every day. It's like just living to pay your bills, to be able to keep the lights on, to keep working. Yeah, ordinary. God, yeah. Just thinking about the struggles that are going to come with being Mm -hmm. an adult. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of the suburban life we're referring to. And Austin said that he wants to escape it as he just bought a house, is about to get married, (laughs) and just thinking about having a child. I was talking about Tom. Oh, Oh, okay. Sorry, (laughs) buddy. Austin Austin loves it. I'm, I'm suburban. There is a, a certain comfort in this movement, a suburban I'm, life. Yeah. So Tom didn't want it. He didn't want any of it. And I'm housebroken. I understand yeah. that as well. <laughs> so, yeah, Tom saw Jack Kerouac as a makeshift father figure and considered anything he ever wrote to be pure gold to the point where he was intimidated by anyone who had ever even worked with Kerouac. He said 
he loved everything Kerouac did and said. I have no idea. I I know nothing about Kerouac. I hope you tell me a little more about him. I don't know if Do I'm we, gonna. Is, is that it? Not really. Episode Damn, about him. No. That's fine. Yeah, we can yeah. we can move on. We can cut that. It can go away. No, it's fine. I mean, we'll probably talk about Kerouac. Like I said, I mean, he was a huge influence. Yeah, so some of his probably. music's gonna be about. influenced by him. And I'm pretty sure Kerouac actually made a couple albums himself. Really, and uh, so that, uh, Tom was super into those, and a couple of musicians that worked with Tom worked with Kerouac as well, and that's where the intimidation came in. That makes yeah, sense. so I I kind of glossed over all of it, Just but that's a little bit more summary. detail on it. Yeah, yeah, cool. So when he wasn't reading, he would also hitchhike with friends from California to Arizona and then back. And then they would also go out in the desert. And this is weird. They would go out in the <laughs> desert. Good. They fun. would <laughs> bury themselves up to their head in sand. And then they would wait for the vultures to come and sniff them out and mm -hmm. then basically walk right up to them thinking they were dead. And then they would try to catch the vultures with their bare hands like. That's what people did before they had the internet. Yeah, that's just that's way, good family fun. That's, way more fun. That's down home sixties family <laughs> fun. Like he said that they would they would like let them get close enough to go for that first peck because they'd always go for the eyes first, and then they just bust their hand yeah. through the sand uh, and the grab them by oh the neck God. and twist their head off. Kill them if, if you want to believe that. Yeah, it could if again, want, again, could be could completely untrue. All be untrue. Did you guys ever try to like play dead for vultures? I, I just dredged up a memory. I definitely did once. No. We uh, don't have vultures here. Yeah, we do. We have turkey yeah, vultures. Yeah, turkey vultures. Same thing. That's true. Yeah. The, the both are true, but no. No, <laughs> no I, I never did. did. No, 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 no. <laughs> just me. You did, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Julia Neal Park. <laughs> no. Out, out there in the field. Where did you just like lay on the ground? No, I just and... laid on the ground because they were circling above looking for food. Oh, I... you knew they were there. Yeah, I knew, knew they were there. there. I was like, maybe I could bait them. But it, it, <laughs> Yeah. Never, well, never should have buried yourself up to your head and just in the turf just waited you twist their heads clean off yeah just kill them that's <laughs> that is family fun i do remember the brady bunch episode about that oh, yeah <laughs> yeah you remember yeah the, with marcia and marcia marcia yep. marcia yeah, marcia. It, yeah that's, they go that's what they the said desert. after she ripped its head off like she just, got two of them at once if i recall she right? double fist and turkey uh, vultures no it was one hand because wow. they were went for a double jab well, yeah. just like, that, one that, that was like, the baby I don't remember the Brady Bunch. <laughs> this is made up. I'm falling. I'm just, this is falling apart. I don't remember any of the characters. It's detracting. <laughs> oh, uh, but eventually, when Tom was 14, he decided to get a job and to have some extra money and use up his time in a more constructive manner. As he was something of a troublemaker in school and his parents, who like said were both teachers, did not tolerate it for a second. Yeah. Uh, for a little flavor here, he said that when he was 13, him and three of his friends just downed a bottle of cough syrup and we go. like like you know 60s cough syrup yeah okay. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> dude 60s cough syrup that's like good stuff i'm sure it's yeah. i'm sure it was i'm sure it's okay but they drove <laughs> to some quays in there it's <laughs> probably quaaludes man it's probably quaaludes and codeine <laughs> sorry austin continue <laughs> <laughs> they uh drove to a james brown concert where they were they cut the fence in the back with wire cutters to get in, and he said he's never had fun since. I'm pretty sure he said he doesn't remember a thing, too. Just secondhand <laughs> account was told. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't. It's Quaaludes. You stay awake. through the whole thing. Um, yeah, he got a job because he felt like, since his dad wasn't there, he kind of felt like he like needed, needed to, to support. He was like the man of the house, but his mom had plenty of money from teaching thing. and yeah. from the 
child support and everything, but he just felt again, it was that that sense of having to grow up. Like, yeah. oh, I have to take this responsibility yeah. now and I'm gonna pay for my own gas. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so yeah, he he uh decided to get a job and he claimed to have had many jobs, ranging from a taxi driver to selling encyclopedias door to door. But a couple of jobs he certainly had were in the service industry. He worked at a restaurant called La Bella Pizza Garden, where he worked in the kitchen before getting fired after a few weeks. But it gave him a taste of the environment he loved. He was enthralled by the world of comers and goers, drifters, and vagabonds. Mm -hmm. So he got another job at Napoleon's Pizza House, where he worked as a dishwasher before eventually learning how to make the pizzas and becoming a full-time cook. I want to say this is a strange voice for a musician, but I know I'm wrong now that I'm reading this. Cause strange feel, voice, huh? Yeah. Strange. Yeah, it's just, choice. I mean, strange. It, 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 I wanted to say it's a strange choice, but it's <laughs> not because it does seem like people that are full-time musicians do tend to trend into service, service industry. industry. And, That's just a sad yeah, reality. It's mm-hmm. just fact because they know that they could probably get a job elsewhere. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't care about too much. Else. Wow, yeah. yeah. Just coast. Just coast to pay the <laughs> bills. Keep going. <laughs> But he loved it. He loved like looking out into the dining area and just seeing the random people who would stop in. Yeah, he would say the happiest times of his life was 1963, 1 a.m., washing dishes on a Saturday night in Napoleon Pizza Kit House. Pizza Kitchen House. Pizza, pizza house, house Kitchen. kitchen. Pizza, pizza, pizza Kitchen House. Napoleon Pizza House. I think I, I looked it up and they actually only serve spaghetti. Is that true? No. Oh. That would be. That's a good idea. Would be funny. <laughs> that would be fun. That's just fun. Yeah. <laughs> now, is it Napoleon's or is it Napoleon? I, I think it's Napoleon. I think it's Napoleon. I'm going to keep saying Napoleon. That's all right. That's all right. I'm the one that wrote it right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I wrote mine right. We all did it right. It's all good. Yes, uh, Napoleon's was open very late into the night, so he would Napoleon. Look, look back. Check the the record. (laughs) (laughs) It was open very late into the night, so he would work overnights, and he got the chance to see the nocturnal crowds that would come in. It was drunks, prostitutes, the homeless, just anyone else who would uh, come in to get their end of the night meal. Mm -hmm. Tom would talk to them listen to him all the while keeping the jukebox going with the songs of patsy klein ray charles hank williams and whoever else got sent to the restaurant did you guys like spend a lot of time around jukeboxes i don't think we've ever really talked about this have we yeah, like restaurants talked about the pizza hut one before. Yeah, that, yeah. Pizza that one that was yeah. the only one we had available i did, feel like did you yeah. ever go to the princess the princess had one too that's true never yeah. mess with the princess yeah, one actually, I did. I'm, I'm totally lying here a lot spent a lot of time in dow's iowa bars and they oh, both the two of they? them in town had jukeboxes. they would have had jukeboxes oh, yeah. I do love it. Town of 200 people and they have two bars. <laughs> yeah. all, what is I mean, that telling you? You got the grain elevator and two bars. That's all you need. <laughs> wow. That's all there is there in the post office, yeah. huh? Oh, Town's, yeah, they have post office. Town's small enough to just walk everywhere. And that is convenient. You can That's go to church. There's a lot of those. Bars. Mm. There are a weird amount of churches in that town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Five-card poker on Saturday night, church on Sunday morning. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. He worked nearly full time while still going to school before eventually deciding in 1968 in his senior year that something had to get. So naturally, he decided he was going to be done with school. There it is. It it hasn't come up for a while, but that education is doing nothing but holding you back. Get it out of here. You don't need it. As we've said, he was not a great student. He preferred to goof off rather than learn anything. Who is is really out fault here? The the public education system or society? 
You're not even going to throw Tom into the mix there? Yeah. Oh, it's not his yeah. fault. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely not, not his fault. There's no way. <laughs> a a well-dialed-in uh, education system would have recognized his talents. He just felt, he kind of just felt that he wasn't getting his education from the school. He felt yeah. he was getting his education from the people at Napoleon's, and he didn't need the degree. He's <laughs> <laughs> an obstinate. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm saying it right. System. Effing care. Get it. Look it up. It's, it's spelled Napoleon. It's not spelled Napoleon. I can pro- I'll bet you so much money right now. It's Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> Director's cut. <laughs> what? Wait. What is it? Napoleon. Napoleon. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. One I got in there. At the end. Yeah. We're doing good. Right. I'm just mad that Ethan said I botched it when I wrote it. Okay. Oh. So there's Napoleon. Sorry. Oh boy. Yeah, I swear to effing God, he said Napoleon Pizza House. No, nope. maybe it was that one quote, that one because I that was what I wrote word for word. Yeah, it's all it's Napoleon's. That's the name God, of the place. No, no. <clears throat> yep. Okay, so Napoleon in this one. Does he change the Shucks. spelling? Or? Well, he just dropped the apostrophe s in this quote that ah. I wrote word for word. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Yeah. Yikes. Napoleon's. Hell yeah. Good lord. Good <laughs> I was ready to die on this hill. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was too focused on the one quote. I was like, that's not spelled correctly. Yeah. I was like, I guess it's just pronounced differently. A little more Italian. Crepes. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon. Napoleon. Yeah, Napoleon. Napoleon. Arrivederci. You might even get that little freaking E at the end there. Napoleon. I'm not, I'm not a, I can't speak Italian. Perfect. Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah, we could speak the um, stereotypical American version. Of it, <laughs> and that is worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I think it's- he only cared about his. Yeah. So we, he, he dropped out of school. He only cared about his job and more so over time, music. And we can't blame him for that at all. And we're thankful that he was. <laughs> he always felt that he was not long for San Diego, thinking at first he was going to be some sort of drifter, seeing the world from the driver's seat of his 1955 Buick Roadmaster. Yeah. Old 55 is probably one of his. One of his most widely known songs, if mm-hmm. not most widely, and you can uh, probably guess it was about this Bad Betty. Bad Betty. Mm-hmm. Nice yep. car. Get yeah. it. Freeways, cars, and trucks. <laughs> I don't know it, so. <laughs> that's the song. Yeah, that's a beautiful rendition. Thank you. My voice is going to be gone by the end of the episode. <laughs> hey, I'm going to have to fine. tap someone in. <laughs> if, if my voice goes, it's just going to be the, the Microsoft screen reader guy. <laughs> yeah. It's just like oh, one, mid-sentence, all it's going to be like, he had the short life, interest in photography. It's going to be really good. You got to insert a purposeful misspelling too so it's not oh really god good. like napoleon's <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I wrote the quote right <laughs> <laughs> so tom wasn't really into the blossoming hippie movement that seemed to be coming about instead drawing inspiration for his attitude and his fashion from the 1950s wearing button-ups ties and then a slouchy sally cap yeah it's pretty interesting because it He's like a rebel through and through, like to the point where he rebels against the way most people are rebelling. rebelling. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like counter counterculture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is like was prime time for getting into psychedelics and free love. And he chose to go into the same rebellion his dad did. Yeah. Stick, to, like, stick to the cigarettes, stick to the drinking. Booze, and, yep. I'll stay behind. They weren't wrong. The old, the old colors. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had, he actually, he had a short interest in photography. And that's one thing that he did is he, when he would 
get interested in something, he would like dive in head first. So when he had a short interest in photography and so he bought a bunch of photography equipment, but eventually he kind of lost interest in it. And so he sold it all off because his passions were starting to fall solely on music. So he would sell off his photography equipment to buy musical equipment. So yep. he used the photography money to buy like a, a, a just instruments that he could. He had his guitar that he owned. And then he also had a like family piano mm -hmm. that he got uh the, the, his family was going to throw it out and so he liked it he liked the way it sounded it was a little bit off but he really liked it and he actually took piano lessons to get a basic understanding of the piano with a woman named Frances thumb who was classically trained i tried to find a picture of her and i couldn't find one i was hoping she was like really really hot and i was like maybe he like hooked up with her but i couldn't find a single picture so. you think that a 1960 classic piano teacher named Frances Thumb was going to be an extremely <laughs> hot woman. I could could have been. I mean, that's man, I don't know. I, there are so many cards stacked against <laughs> that woman. <laughs> to be fair, it's it's T H U M M. It would be worse if it was U M B. Yeah, it actually could be Thum. <laughs> yeah. um, it could be. Oh, well, I guess we'll call her Thumb. I well, to I find like any it. contacts in her, and I couldn't. Find yeah, Miss Thumb. She's probably a nobody. Yeah. No yeah. offense. Teacher but Frank she, Thumb. She did teach Tom Waits how to play the piano, so that's where she falls in this story. Mm -hmm. And one of their favorite things to do together, Tom and Thumb, were Tom Thumb. Isn't that a character somewhere? Doesn't what? matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Cut that out. That doesn't even get to stay in the director's cut. That's the Snyder cut version only. <sighs> One of their favorite things to do was to play songs from the doors, but play them in the style of Frank Sinatra. I was like trying to get like a feel of how that would sound and I couldn't. It sounds really interesting, but I couldn't really think of how it would sound. It'd be just like, it'd probably just be the doors, but just a little Bubbles. bit more big band yeah. sounding, yeah. I would think. Instruments would change. That's probably But if it. you're only yeah. doing it on piano, how does that work? Yeah, that's, see, I was trying to picture it and I just couldn't. I don't know. Be interesting. Nope. I don't know. That's just what the book said. I'm just. I, no, you're. I right. believe you. I'm no, just, you. just a messenger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom also began writing down the conversations he would hear at Napoleon's while he was working in another diner called Rudford's, which was actually the only diner open 24 hours a day in the area. Yeah, it's like a bit of a landmark in San Diego. It's still open. 24 hours a day to this day it's opening while we're it's open while we're recording this and it's opening while you are listening yep. to it so Hope it did fine during covid it's still open 24 <laughs> hours to yeah, this day it's still going <laughs> it's still going good that's one of those diners that the grease will just kill any disease you have yeah. so you just eat up those eggs and bacon and we'll always pass an fda inspection yeah absolutely <laughs> i said it's, it was uh famous for its um um weak coffee Mm. Oh, that's sad. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. That is sad. Yep. Don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would listen to people eating and then write down anything that caught his attention. He would write off like simple one off statements that people would say, or he would write the theme of entire conversations. I think that would help with like the storytelling aspect because then you could make fictional. Yeah. Around it. Yeah. The whole world's around mm -hmm. it. Good. Yeah. Once he got his family's piano, he would begin to write songs on it as well as on his guitar. And then he would play them at, whenever he had the chance at like little coffee shops around the area, uh, just like anywhere he could find. But one of his favorite places to go to was called The Heritage. I bet it had a nice vibe going on in there. Sounds like a nice coffee house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it housed a lot of local acts who would like come there to try out their stuff. And then every once in a while, some bigger acts would come through. Yeah, I can't remember who it was in the book but they someone said that it was 
like it was a coffee house, but it was like a small theater. Like if yeah. people were mm-hmm. talking while a musician was playing, they give you a warning. If you did it again, you just got kicked out. Yeah, it was like a lot more formal That's than just nice. a coffee house. Just pretty, pretty dope. I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah, he visited the heritage a bunch and he met a lot of other musicians in the area there. And then once he felt comfortable, he decided that he was going to maybe try out some of his songs there. He actually got a job there as a doorman first. And then while he was doing a fine job manning the door, he eventually brought his guitar with him and would play stuff that he had written like at the door for the people listening. And a lot of people were like, the doorman's a great musician. Yeah, people would just not come inside. Yeah, they would just listen to Tom outside at the door. Sounds like he was basically doing something he loved to do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So while he was playing, he would just play stuff that he had written, and then he would just listen to the conversations of those around him to build out even more material. He just sounds like a job that would come to him really easy. He probably loved it. Probably probably didn't even need to be paid to do it. Well, he was. He was. Yeah, he got paid. Which is nice. He was. Yeah, that makes it even better. <laughs> he loved his job here, and and he did this while he was still working at Napoleon's as well. He would work at the Heritage, and then either go out with friends to uh, other restaurants around the area, or he would go to Napoleon's to work a shift there. Or sometimes he would do all three. And this is one thing that remained a constant for Tom though through his entire life. He was a night owl through mm-hmm. and through. He felt that the nighttime was the right time. Oh yeah, one of his uh, friends from the time said it was not uncommon to get a call at two in the morning from Tom wanting to go shoot some pool. Literally to go out. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> like to start. Yeah. I had a friend like that in the military. He like, I don't think he slept at all. Like, cause I was working like swings. So like three to 11 at night and yeah. I'd get off work and I'd be like, hey Strickland, what's up? And he's like, well, I'm working day shift tomorrow, but you want to go do something all night? And I'm like, yeah. And he <laughs> yeah. just not sleep. Yeah, sure, that's, why not? that's like what, basically what Tom would do. He would go out and then he would be out till like six in the morning and then he'd go home, get an hour of sleep and then be back at it. Yeah. The friend was like, I I was a pretty good sleeper, so I never went, but he tried. (laughs) (laughs) I always just shut it down. Fuck that. (laughs) Ah, So eventually he got on the stage at the Heritage and played his music in front of people. He was still a huge fan of Bob Dylan. And so I think he just played like a couple of Bob Dylan's covers and I think he barely played his own music at this point. Yeah, it was mostly just covers. Yeah. Yeah. Doing whatever people would listen to. That's all right, though. Yeah, he played less of his own songs. Uh, like we said, pl- he played Bob Dylan, but he also played like Ray Charles and he played Elvis, which is funny because he didn't listen to pop when he was a kid. I bet he'd like nailed those songs perfectly as well. Oh, yeah, of course. It would be interesting to hear really, really early Tom Waits. Yeah. Like what his voice sounded like. And so, yeah, over the next few years, this was Tom's life. He worked and performed at the Heritage, though he didn't get paid for his performances for over a year after he began performing. And he also worked at Napoleon's as well. He would discuss Kerouac and the ins and outs of the beat mindset with his friends and fellow musicians. Yeah, he became like a a persona at the Heritage. Like, yeah, he would stand at the door with a book under his arm. And he would read in between letting people in and like didn't really talk to anyone at first. And eventually people just who worked there like engaged him first and they realized he was super reserved but incredibly funny and like, yeah. absorbed everything going on around. So eventually there would just be people standing outside just talking to him rather than going inside al- alongside like Tony said the playing his music and watching him instead of going in. <laughs> yeah, he was just like doing like a one man show by himself yeah. but not intentionally it was just the way he lived his life was very 
care like he sucks you in like watching his interviews even and stuff oh yeah and i don't think i don't think any of it's i mean it's like intentional but it just is also effortless he never seems over the top and he never seems like he's trying it's always he's like the the epitome of cool guy so natural yeah Yeah, i I watched it's nuts i watched like a letterman interview where when blood money and alice come out and he's like you know, a lot of artists do split albums, but this is like two separate albums, completely independent, right? And Tom Waits is like, yeah. And he's like, what, what gave you that idea? And he's like, or he was like, who came up with that? And Tom, Tom's like, well, we'll see how it does. And if it does well, I'll say I came up with it. And if it doesn't do well, well I'll blame it on someone yeah. else. I'll pawn it so off quick. on someone else uh-huh. immediately if it doesn't work out. And it's very fun to listen to. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Good to listen to. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Oh, and when I said that um, he got paid, like I said, he didn't get paid at first, but he did eventually. Uh, he got paid eight dollars a night to sit at the door, and he got paid six dollars to play bucks. on stage. So he actually <laughs> he made more this. money to play sit at the door. Oh, he he made more money as a doorman than as a performer. What the hell? Yeah, yep. So he's like, doesn't really make sense. Why would I even go on stage if? Money is the thing that's keeping me. Because yeah. he got the bug. And it's keeping the people there. I mean, it's, yeah. people were outside watching him. Yeah. They could have brought him. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Does not matter one bit. <laughs> so over time, he began playing more and more of his original songs, including a couple that would end up on his first album in a few years. After a while, he decided that he was never going to make it anywhere playing here in San Diego. If he was ever going to make it, he was going to have to travel to a place we have talked about nearly every series we've covered so yeah. far. Los Angeles. That seems like a place I wouldn't want to go right now. Why is that? It just seems like it's not doing very well. Like, <laughs> it seems like post-COVID. Chaos all the time. fucking yeah. chaos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so... Well, this was the 1960s, so... Yeah, much better. <laughs> yeah, better. Um, so his first idea was to do the Troubadour Hoot, as it was called. This is actually Doug Weston's Troubadour. So it's the same club where Guns N' Roses would mm-hmm. eventually become a known quantity like we talked about in our first series. Yeah. And but at this point it was it was a pretty well established club, but just every Monday they'd do a hoot nanny for local artists. Yeah, just to put this into perspective, this story takes place twenty two years, mm-hmm. twenty three years where we're at right now is taking place twenty three years before Guns N' Roses gets on stage there. So that's where we're at. Yep. <clears throat> and yep. yeah, and so this this troubadour hoot was basically a lottery for artists. That that would definitely be the place to get recognized though. Yeah. Yeah. You're lucky enough to. So every Monday yeah, would not get recognized if you're not oh, lucky enough. Yeah, I feel like God, yeah. Yeah. be the wrong night. It's no almost like a lottery, like yeah. you have no idea which way it's it could like go. you're more than likely gonna lose. <laughs> <There'd be no laughs> <one there. laughs> uh so every Monday there was an open mic night at the Troubadour. So everyone would line up outside the venue and hope to get picked to play their set. A lot of agents hung out at the Troubadour looking for new talent. So this was a highly sought after opportunity. Also a huge lottery, like we said. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For Tom, this meant while he was living in San Diego that he would have to wake up at five in the morning to get on a bus that would take him from his home in Chula Vista to LA, where he would get there just in time to get a reasonable spot in the line and be more visible for the hoot master who picked the axe. So is this kind of like the American Idol thing where a bunch of people stand outside like in line and just you just hopefully you get picked and yeah. then hopefully. Yep. Yep. That's pretty much exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, actually Tom said that 
they continued to do this through later years that they would have people inside on a wall and then they would like point a spotlight at him and invite him up. Then he would hopefully get picked to play a couple songs before hopping back on the bus at the end of the night to head back home for the week. And he did it every single Monday. Yeah. An entire day's travel for maybe 15 minutes of stage time. Like if you're picked, he's very dedicated to this pursuit. Very dedicated. Yeah. Yes. Every single Monday. (laughs) Yeah, getting on a bus at 5 a.m. coming here. But, I mean, granted, he didn't sleep very much. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> wasn't too There's a lot of going home empty-handed. Oh, yeah. You oh, go I there, sit there all night, and just not get picked. Yep. That's, that's that. And before too long, he actually had a manager in L.A. named Herb Cohen, mm-hmm. who actually managed Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart as well, and seemed to be a fan of these unique artists. This is clearly a guy who has an eye for talent just based off Frank Zappa alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was a fairly well-known manager in LA, though I have to wonder if he was well-known because of his managerial skills or because of his oddball cast of artists. Uh, listen, everything... I have read about her. He was a pretty tough cookie. Yeah. So he is originally from the Bronx and pretty much everything I could find of other people talking about him was along the lines of this is a guy you don't fuck with. Mm-hmm. The uh, One of the members of the first act he ever signed um, said that he kept a box of hand grenades in his, the trunk of his car. That's Naturally, cool. Yeah. 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 Why not? Um, <laughs> and he was in the military before getting into the music industry. And mm-hmm. apparently in the 60s at one point, he just like completely disappeared and no one knew where he went and eventually like it kind of got out that he was pro- most likely in South America um, working as a MRSA military contractor. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and so, uh, you know, I think it's probably a little bit of both and more one. Probably like Blackwater before Blackwater was Blackwater. Yeah, yeah. And now it's, it's something else now. So, yep. I mean, he does have a long list of people he made famous. Uh, most notably to me was Lenny Bruce, a guy who happened to be a Neopet when the website first started. You got it in there. You I got, got it, it in there. You got the Neopet. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. This is the nerdiest episode talking about Neopets, Redwall. Yeah. Oh my God. Good for us. Good for us. Revealing too it, much. It is good to be back in person again. <laughs> with my heart on my sleeve. Yeah, I think I think when he disappeared, he disappeared for like months and months. It was a months. very big stretch of time. And people like, didn't know where he was. I'm but sure then like, he just money came people probably got back. worried. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were just kind of like, well, Herb's gone. Whatever. I don't think people worried about Herb. Yeah. I don't think people, I mean, they probably might have worried, but I don't think they said they were worried. I yeah. think people were more like the absence of Herb is just as scary as the presence of yeah. Herb. Like, if you don't know where he is, where could he be? The the singer that said that said that he was scarier than ever when he came back. So. Yeah, it's just fine. <laughs> that got somehow changed man, like more changed somehow. Hardened, yeah. 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 No, I think he's World, already. World War II veteran <laughs> military contractors. It's like PTSD, but the exact opposite. Where instead of it. like screwed up from it, he's it. just like, yeah, Five amped from it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, he's, a, he's a very scary man. And we'll get into a, a case where he is apparently pretty feared all amongst the the the. Uh, the industry yeah so regardless though 
Once Tom signed with Herb, scoring the contract and a quick 300 bucks, his days in San Diego were numbered. As I said, he made the bus ride weekly for a year or so before finally moving to L.A. permanently in 1972. That'd be a long time to be riding the bus every day. Hey, man. <laughs> God. <laughs> that wouldn't be fun at all. No, no not no, even a little no. bit. Public transit is the goddamn worst. <laughs> I thought you were going a different way with that. Oh, where were you going? I thought you were implying that he like was on the bus just non-stop until 1970. <laughs> I thought you were going for that kind of thing. It would be funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah his, it's a long time to write a bus. It is a long time. Uh, his initial contract with Herb was for songwriting and not actually for performing, though he could, per- like, it was basically Herb said, I want you to write songs for me. Um, and I couldn't find any artists specifically. I know that they're out there. I just didn't take the time to like really cut it down to look at who we wrote artists or who we wrote songs for, but he was free to perform as much as he wanted to. And so he would just go perform on his own time and then just write songs for Herb, which he would perform as much as he could more often than not at the Troubadour. Yeah. And with the way that Herb described the, um, like in the book, that process of picking him up, he was at the Troubadour one night and Tom started singing. Well, Herb was like going, waiting to go to the bathroom and it made him stop and like listen. And when he came out of the bathroom, Tom was wrapping up and he went over and he was like, what are you doing? And without missing a beat, Tom was just like nothing blankly. And, offered, <laughs> and Herb just offered him a contract right there. <laughs> yep. He's like, oh, this guy is weird. I'll oh, take I him. Like it. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he got a small little one bedroom apartment in Hollywood and made himself at home. God, I got it. I bet they have a bunch of those in Hollywood, don't they? Uh, well, and he was in a neighborhood where it was real cheap because yeah. he was in a neighborhood where Tom was a minority. There was a big Hispanic population and a big bohemian population. And um, he loved, loved it. that he was such a, he loved like the, the, just the weirdness of it and the like, just the goofiness of it, the loud noises that he would hear all the time. He was such a fan of it. And so we, not what he's used to from suburban, suburban. Yeah, California. exactly. He's yeah. kind of getting his first taste here of like, Oh, this is the city. This is like the city. Yeah. And, and the people, the real people. Yeah. And we've said it and we'll say it again. He loved the less than pristine, the dirty and the gritty. Just a real man who likes real people, and I get it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. His favorite places were dirty and beyond their years, and his favorite people were those who were a little off and had a unique personality. And they make for the best material, as his extensive discography <laughs> will prove oh, in spades. Yeah. Oh, Plenty of writing material. 26? 26. Yeah. I think it's... I can't remember how many studio albums he has, but he has a couple live albums, mm-hmm. but he also has a decent amount of compilation albums, it's which a lot too, are not at not on things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's not a huge fan of the compilation albums, no. which we'll get into probably in the next episode. So he brought all his books and his records and his guitar and then his family's piano to this little apartment and then moved right in. Austin, if you found out you had to move back into your apartment right now, how would you feel? The one bedroom? Yeah. <laughs> fucking nightmare. Yeah, that would be an actual fucking nightmare. Oh, dude. man. He he was just like a dirty city dweller. He, he, loved, he loved being cramped. He loved having like everything close to him, and he loved just the weirdest shit. I hated upstairs neighbors so much. Yeah. <laughs> no. Goddamn worst. Yeah. Was it? Okay, this can, be, this can be cut out. I can't remember this for sure. Was it this? Was it Tom who came home one night? 
and there were just like people i feel like i don't know if this was a dream or a show or what so just correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like tom like came home one night and there were just like people in his apartment and they're like i'm like like he came in and they were just like you can stay like they said that to him in his apartment and, and he just sh- like hung out and then they just left in the morning and that was it <laughs> i swear <laughs> that i, I swear that was it off to obviously somehow off just cool thought. with that awesome. yeah like they were cool with him being there but he was cool with them being there <laughs> right. like it's just like all right i just like the company so that's what cool. he's all about in you know? my house but i love it <laughs> like thank god you're here so he spent most of his time reading writing performing hanging out at diners and bars and listening to artists like himself and even comedians and poets. He enjoyed the world of jazzy arts and artsy jazz. I, I do miss being around like creatives like this, like in the smaller venues. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Going to shows where it's just other musicians yeah. going to see him. is Not just like a headliner that's doing a big tour all the time. Like doing small shows. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Man. That's where you get England. the Just the fun. Hanging out. Some fun people. He began developing his persona as the collected funny man slash cool guy on stage with a cigarette in his hand and a flask nearby, even though Tom himself didn't drink much outside of some beers with friends. But that's kind of one of those things that there's like a lot of back and forth on. Like we like we said, he likes to make his past kind of labyrinthian. And in some interviews, he says he was basically an alcoholic by the time he dropped out of high school and in others like accounts of him was that he was pretty straight laced and just drank occasionally and smoked a lot of cigarettes love regardless he did love smoking cigarettes that's undisputed yeah yeah as big as ambiguous as he possibly can about his drinking though yeah i just (laughs) just love to keep love to keep things a little a little little hidden yeah respect it yeah good for him yeah he also recorded some rough demos with herb to show to people but it wasn't the demos that furthered his career that happened on stage and it all happened thanks to a man we have talked about a couple times on this show and one of the biggest names in the music management david geffen big dave in the house this is this is young david Mm -hmm. geffen this is early in his career so tom was playing a set one night when he was approached by david who wanted to sign him to asylum records the company that david had co-created just two years earlier so did did you guys like catch the end of my panama papers bit uh, yeah. that David Geffen, David Geffen was on there. Well, yeah, we caught it as the outro music yeah. was playing yeah, because like no you started with a bunch of Middle Eastern names. Yeah, I, it's not Instead like the celebrities. And then we it. said, "Do you have any like big names like that we would know?" And you said, "No." And then you and then you immediately said David Geffen and yeah. Emma Watson and yeah, like, like okay. oh Tiger Woods. Yeah, yeah, it's just fine. So yeah, yeah, he could be part of the Panama Papers. He's part of the the cabal it's just fine. <laughs> i mean he's fucking loaded if you remember david geffen was the guy who left to like go create like universal studios or something like he created like dr- i think it was dreamworks he was he i was think guns and he, roses right yeah he was yeah. guns and roses manager and and then yeah he left to go I'm almost certain he created dreamworks is the Genius. company that could he created just everything <laughs> could be wrong there we'll check that later and if it is wrong then you guys will never hear this <laughs> So, as I said, this was early in David's career, and he was looking for anyone unique that he could sell. And David is going to be a man that sells a lot of people. A lot of people. He heard Tom singing while he was in line for the bathroom and loved the sound of his voice as well as his attitude on stage. I don't know why he's getting... 
exclusively recognized yeah. due to the bathroom line. It was a different time, I suppose. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> yeah. Just bathroom. The, the, the sound quality right at the bathroom door is just impressive. Mm-hmm. Catches Maybe. it. We should start recording in bathrooms. There That's you go. what we're messing up on. I tell you what, I think I've said this before, but my my stepdad Joe, he only plays his guitar in the bathroom because it's got the best reverb. Yeah, remember that. That's true. But uh, yeah, outside the bathroom. Though, so yeah, that's well. true. That's true. <laughs> Hallways outside the bathroom actually have the best sound. Um, we actually had to stop the episode for a moment, and this it all got cut because this it's amazing that both Herb and David Geffen heard him. Out right at the yeah. bathroom. It's just a weird coincidence. Bizarre. We had to make we had to fact check that before we came back. So <laughs> according to the stories, at least. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so David was in so David was excited to potentially catch this new act. But when Tom said that Herb was managing him, David backed off immediately and apologized profusely. Mm-hmm. Because as we've said, apparently Herb was a pretty intimidating man and people did not want to mess with him. Scary scary is used over <laughs> and over. But on top of that. Herb's brother, Martin, was a really well-known lawyer, and they described him in the book as a barracuda. So, That's like a duo you're not going to get on the wrong side of. Yeah, you don't want the guy who can kill you and then the guy who can get him off. Yeah, yeah, get covered all right up. No, thank you. That's not in a situation you ever want to be in. No, not even once. No. He could just assault you and probably still get away with it. Just get away with it. Yep. A mercenary in South America. (laughs) (laughs) Just probably cooing some socialist country that we're trying to export stuff out of. Just fine. Just fine. So we're just saying that about him recorded, put into the internet. Into the world. You guys are comfortable with that. You know what? Herb Cohen is a man who loves his cheeses now. He's also a dead man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I I still don't know. Well, then, yes, I am comfortable saying (laughs) that. I guess I am. I don't know about his brother, though. Mm. He's the brother's the lawyer. Uh, He's the one you'd want to worry about. Exporting animal meat, I'm sure. Just something exotic that wasn't. What, you're still on the mercenary? Just go back to it (laughs) when it's been gone past. It's so far gone. That's fine. Good thing this is a multi track. We just cut it. There's so much to cut. You're welcome. With these things. (laughs) No, 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 no. It'll be good. (laughs) So Tom left thinking nothing of this exchange and told Herb what had happened. Herb called David the next day to talk to him. And I think David thought that Herb was mad at him for trying to poach his talent. But Herb said that he actually only signed Tom as a songwriter and not as a performer. So if David wanted to record an album with Tom and to sign sign him on as a performer, he was more than welcome to. This this makes Herb almost seem like a rational person. It's a little weird because I'm sure... You would think he wouldn't want someone to tap into the money flow that he was getting out of Tom. Well, if you make Tom into a big name and then you say, Tom, this famous artist is writing songs for you, it'll be a premium. Maybe you saw the value. Yeah, Yeah. and Herb has to pay little to no money to get that. And David Geffen is obviously a huge name. This is a business move for Herb. Genius. Yeah. So at the time, uh, I don't think that Tom knew like exactly what kind of deal he was getting or who he was getting it with uh, being again, being David Geffen, but he was being asked to join someone on the ground floor that over just the next like two years would sign names like Joni Mitchell, the Eagles, Jackson Brown and Tom's musical hero, Bob Dylan. No, this is just not like huge deals. Like, no, 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 not too big. That's, <laughs> really That's a joke, obviously. <laughs> obviously, don't take me ever out of context on that statement, but 
No, they're small names. Yeah, just just people you barely heard of. Yeah, barely. Like pivotal names. <laughs> Local <know>. artist <laughs> Joni Mitchell. <laughs> the Eagles. And yeah, like Tom likely barely even knew who David Geffen was when he agreed to work with him. And while it didn't necessarily work out for Tom in the long run, which we'll get into in the next episode, he likely wouldn't have the career he had without this lift from David in Asylum. Yeah, and at the same he at the same time he probably would have been a way different artist if yeah. is if like he makes his tenure with Geffen which he doesn't we'll get into it all but yeah. I'm I'm glad that's not the case but this was the best springboard he could have gotten oh yeah way. it definitely helps his career get off the ground and allows him to do what exposure. he wants to do exactly <laughs> buddy to, yeah you got he gets it the exposure and then he just does his own thing as soon as he can. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. So a deal was struck that Tom would record with Asylum and it would be under Tom's and Herb's terms, mainly meaning that Tom would use a producer that Herb knew rather than a person from Asylum. You got to keep your hands in the pot. Mm, oh, yeah. money. That's right, buddy. Oh, that's yeah. right. So they called in musician and producer Jerry Yester, who had been in a variety of bands, uh, who actually in 2017 was charged and convicted of 30 counts of possession of child porn. Uh, but that is beside the point and um, would happen 40 years away from the time we're in in the story. Yeah, like just a really common and upsetting part of the industry. I'm going to say too common. Yeah. It's like it's like. Standard practice, I think, at this point in the industry. (laughs) It's pretty upsetting that every time we're looking for news stories for the every other week news show, always at least one. One, one, for sure. One of grooming or more. Grooming or child porn or... God. I just don't get it. Just don't... Why? Fuck kids. Just don't. Anyway. God, not a hard concept. It's not a hard concept. Do you know how many people are over the age of 18? A lot. That you're just allowed to do stuff with if they want to. It's amazing. Good Christ. So he was a friend. Jerry was a friend of Tom's. And as soon as the deal was signed, they got together to work on his debut album in 1972. Once he made the move to L.A., it wasn't long before things started happening to him. So, uh, like, he was struggling for a long time. Again, he moved to L.A. in 1972, and he started working on his debut album in 1972 because things happened so fast once he got there. Right into the machine. (laughs) It's amazing. So they got into Sunset Sounds in Hollywood, which actually is where Van Halen recorded some of their albums that we talked about, where they started workshopping what the album was going to sound like. Tom was timid and quiet at first in the studio, though after a while he began to become more assertive with what he wanted. But... He did feel out of his element here because he had never really recorded before. At all. Um, yeah, but he did have a couple requests right from the beginning. I'm sure they were pretty simple, normal, standard stuff, right? They actually were actually, yes. pretty, yeah. Actually At this pretty point, standard. pretty normal, yeah. So he wanted to have an acoustic bass instead of an electric bass. So like Not a as eccentric yet. Double bass, yeah. yeah, like a cello, essentially, that was plays jazz. You know, yeah. you know that whole thing. Um, and then he also wanted the album to have a very jazz house feel. So they found a guitarist, a trumpet player, a double bass player, and a drummer. What's that? What's a double bass player? That's confusing to me. That's the, it's the stand up. So it's a stand up like a cello. Yeah, it's a cello played jazz instead of, played jazzily instead of with the bow. Hello, you got a bass. (laughs) (laughs) Give me the C. Uh, All right. It was mainly people that Jerry and David knew, but the band meshed well together and were surprised to see this 23-year-old in the studio after hearing his demo tape and hearing about his sound. He was truly an artist out of his time. 
They recorded the album's 12 tracks over the next 10 days, in these 10 days, creating 11 of the 12 tracks. That's a pretty decent, like, fast turnaround time for your first time recording. Yeah. Well, I mean, we see it more often than not. Yeah. Their first albums are just, like, knocked out because, for one, you have a, the, you have a, a, a catalog of songs you're going to do. And for two, you just are, like, they're just going to get you out there as quick as possible. Yeah. And they brought in session musicians. Make it cheap. Turnaround. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to spend a ton of money in case you're a flop. So the only song that was recorded outside of this session at Sunset Sounds was Closing Time, which was actually recorded at Western Recorders, which I think is also in L.A. in Hollywood. They brought in another trumpet player and then a bass guitarist to create the jazz instrumental song that closed out the album. But after a short time in the studio, the album was recorded and was sent to be mastered. Tom continued to do what he did through the remainder of the year and then... On March 6th, 1973, Closing Time was released. The feel of the album was like the sounds you would hear on the jukebox in the world Frank Sinatra creates in his album In the Wee Small Hours. That's such a, that's a strange take for 1973 at the time. That's like... Yeah. Yeah, In the Wee Small Hours was released in 55, I'm he's pretty confident. A, he's a time traveler. He, he yeah. goes back a lot. <laughs> he's a big fan of the things he's a big fan of. I like it. <laughs> Got a niche group of fans for a reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the album, it received mixed reviews on the whole, but more than anything, it just kind of fell under the radar. Yeah. And that's something that I'm going to mention right now for the rest of the series. According to SoundScan, the technology used to count album sales Tom Waite has only sold 4.6 million albums in total. Now, granted, he started putting out albums 20 years before SoundScan became a thing. Uh, so there could be some kind of leeway on what the count actually is. But all the same, he has sold by far the least amount of albums of anyone we have talked about to date. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, a, it's kind of a milestone for... Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. But, yeah, the lowest milestone. Yeah. <laughs> but then, so far, bro. But then on top of that, he's put out the most albums minus Waylon of anyone. Yeah. I Jesus. mean, like he's put out I think it's like 18 studio albums. He's put out yeah, a lot of studio thick discog. Yeah. All of his stuff is cherished in some groups and is kind of critically acclaimed across the board, but he has the definition of a cult following. Mm -hmm. That yeah. Do you think do you think Typo has a cult following like in the same vein, or do you think it's no? They're more no. widely yeah, liked than more him. Widely. So this more, is yeah. like the, Typo has a more um, unique following over the years it's because a small fault. It's not it's not a cult following, but it's also not a it's not huge following. Yeah, but yeah. there's some people who are like, well, I only like uh, Origin of the Feces, or I only like October Rust, or I only like yeah. um, At World. Uh, you know, like they they're like I I only like these albums because they change. Tom Waits fan base. They're like like any anything he's do, doing anything about him. Yeah, like, they like him. Yeah, and yeah, what he does. Yeah. The yeah. character is the is the focus. And exactly. Everything he puts out with that is I just love it all. Needed. Yeah, yeah. Four point six million albums total, and a lot of them like don't chart, and a lot of them like just don't like certify gold or anything like that but again it's just he's kind of just doing whatever he wants yep. which means he is just genuinely loves doing music exactly yeah yeah it, the closing time wasn't really noticed by anyone outside of like some people in the underground scene and then a couple music journalists who gave it high regards uh but even though it wasn't really doing much asylum decided to send tom out on tour to promote the album uh it was going to be like a small dirty tour that was going to be tough for a couple reasons 
Tom only had one album to go off of, though he did already have songs ready for future albums that he could play, but he also had never really played in front of people before. Not big crowds or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be exhausting the first time once you start getting into those kinds of crowds. Yeah. 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 It was like, like he had played at the Heritage and at the Troubadour a good amount of times, but those crowds were pretty familiar with a lot of returners. And now he was going to have to play in front of strangers every single night. So they started out in April 1973 in Washington, D.C. So it was Tom and then a three-piece backup band who traveled all around the country from April to June, opening up for artists like Tom Rush, Charlie Rich, and Buffalo Bob Smith, who is the child star of the show Howdy Doody. What a weird group of people, and I don't think I know any of them. Uh, Charlie Rich is really popular. Yeah, Charlie Rich, uh, he's the one that should have fucking... Sunshine on my goddamn shoulders, John Denver. Yeah, oh, that's shit, right. Yeah. That is. Yeah. yeah. God, he burned the tape. Yeah. That's right, baby. Wow. <laughs> huh. You gonna burn my shit. tape? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna burn my? You gonna burn my ass? Yeah. Damn it. Um. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, he had to go on tour. He had to open up for a for an aging child child star for an mm. old cowboy show. Like <laughs> it was not the best tour no, for him, yeah. but all the same. It did give this 24-year-old a taste of the road. I mean, it was seedy vans and hotels, and it was the dirty world of setting up and tearing down and then driving all through the night. I bet I bet he was doing a lot of it himself, too, like at the time to yeah. save money. So yeah. driving himself or riding a bus. I'm assuming that he also probably liked it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a good, you know, stop at these little tiny diners and eat and just move on. Yeah. <clears throat> Drifting. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the tour ended in June and Tom took a break. He began working on some new music and playing them around and testing out lyrics at local poetry workshops. He thought that he was going to go back into the studio to start on his next album, but Herb decided that he was going to try something else. He decided that Tom should go back out on the road for more touring, which is always a great idea. <laughs> Following a tour does sound like a pretty fun idea to do, like if you were a fan. Could be fun. Oh, like yeah, just, just follow them artists. date to date. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about people who have done that and they're actually just kind of labeled as stalkers yeah. more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> like following date to date is like actually kind of creepy. <laughs> you think they get scared if you're like a new artist and that starts to happen to you? What do you do in that situation? I mean, I think it depends on what you're doing at the show. If you're just showing up and paying and yeah. watching, you're probably fine. But yeah. You're, like but you're sitting the back like, behind the bus. That's the problem. <laughs> That's, that's where it goes a little south. <laughs> when you get asked to leave and then come back in a disguise, that's, that's the issues. Yep, 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 yep. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, so this album wasn't doing super well, and so Herb thought that it would be a good idea to pair him with someone a little bit more well-known. That person was Frank Zappa. And what transpired was a 10-month tour that was both grueling and torturous for Tom. Mm-hmm. I, his personality would, I feel like, do that to a person if you were had to be with him every day for that long. Yeah. Frank Zappa was one of the most unique artists ever, and everything about him was abrasive and bizarre. His crowds mimic that attitude quite nicely. So what Tom got was crowds who not only did not care that Tom was on stage, but were also actively angry that they weren't able to see Frank at that moment. This gave Tom the ability to be an absolute gatekeeper on Frank Zappa's performances. Yeah, I don't think I, so. I mean, I think in they could theory, kick him right off at the point they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, he would do his part, but they were just like. 
get him get away. off the stage yeah, yeah. <laughs> be, yeah. like they didn't like i think that they said that they pranked tom a little bit and like kind of messed with him but they didn't like outright like attack him or anything like that but they did make it very clear that they were ready to see uh frank zappa and not not tom waits mm-hmm. <laughs> so at the time he hated that he had to do this night after night and it was literally night after night and while frank's backup band called the mothers they were sympathetic but frank himself kind of like seemed to enjoy tom's torture ever so slightly it's like a normal amount of sadistic behavior i get it exactly yeah <laughs> yeah, well, yeah when a little bit when Tom would like come off stage. Frank would just come up to him and just ask, how were they out there? And he knew damn well. <laughs> he knew exactly <laughs> how they, they were, were out there. Yeah. The <laughs> so Tom called the whole tour a baptism by fire. He had little experience with touring before, and this really gave him a taste of how bad it could be. I feel like this 10-month experience is going to make or break a normal person. Oh, my God. Yeah, this could literally be torture for yeah. people. Yeah. But- yeah, he now looks back on the tour with a fondness like after the fact because he kind of feels like every tour since then has been nice and he has he has pretty thick skin because yeah. of it. Uh, but at the time, it was pretty rough for him. And so when he got short breaks from the tour, he managed to hash out and record his whole second album. And we're going to talk about that second album and much more on the next episode of On In Five. Oh, man. And I just wish we could do it in person again. Yeah, no, I'm kind of sad this episode's over already. You you guys want to start over and do it again? Yeah, I want to run this one back. We'll just take whichever one's better. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's actually a good (laughs) idea. God. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to get into some more because later Tom is 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 the stuff I like a lot. So yeah, I'm ready to get gets more get fun. There. Yeah, oh, it gets just <sighs> weird as hell. Oh my god, it gets like a weird, creepy jazz carnival. Yeah, I love it. You got to go. Yeah, listen to listen to closing time. Um, the, his songs. I hope I don't fall in love with you. And all fifty five are his biggest hits on there, and they are very folky. And they're very good. And then go listen to his biggest album is Rain Dogs. Go listen to that one. Listen to Diamonds and Gold. And you'll just hear exactly what the difference is between the two. Because yeah. it is just pretty drastic. Change. It's so <laughs> cool. Absolutely. What he does. He's a good fucking oboe player with him a lot of the time. What? Yeah. Oh, he's got... Dude, Almost. he's got like marimbas with him. And, and he's like doing marimba shit where it sounds like it's all like caveman and is, is marimba's like the the, the, it's the wooden it's the it's wooden like xylophone essentially yeah, okay. and oboe's like a notably bad sounding instrument like by but, itself right it's like a clarinet but deeper but yeah. deeper yeah but not as deep as like a saxophone but he plays the marimba with the pad all the way on so it doesn't ring out at all so it just it sounds like what you it sounds like what is is characterized as hitting bones like a dull note in yeah in in like old video games and movies and stuff. You know, oh. when you see the guy playing on the rib cage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. Lion King. So. It's very visual. For- <laughs> <laughs> no one saw it. I, I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, we'll get into all that in the next couple episodes because they are so much fun. And I can't fucking wait. Mm. So, that's it for Tom Waits Part 1. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you know where to do that. We're on in five on everything. Twitter, yes. Instagram, Facebook, Patreon. Uh, I've immediately kind of fallen off the horse with doing social yeah, media so. posts, but yeah, it's it's hard to 
for care the, too much. <laughs> for the same reason this episode was delayed is because of the reason that I've fallen off the horse. We just we, we had some personal sh- shit oh, to deal with. Yeah. Nothing severe, but don't go to school as a married man with kids. <laughs> don't, don't have two sick kids at the same time. Yeah, don't yeah, do that either. either. Don't, have, don't do that. Yeah. It's it's all fine. I mean, just if you want to like us on, if you want to follow us on iTunes or Spotify, give us a review wherever you can. That yeah. would be awesome just to help us get a little more uh, notice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, if you send us, if you write a review and send us a picture of it, Ethan's going to write to you. I don't want it, but I'll give it to you. He's going to do it. Yeah. I heard that Ethan is like going to send like personal belongings just like like his own stuff yeah like my manifesto Hmm. jesus all right so (laughs) join us back in two weeks for tom waits part two it's gonna be it's gonna be fun we can't wait (laughs) don't have a manifesto i swear pull, pull the board